0: I'm Anna Webb, this is A Dog's Life. Hey Mr. Binks, you know we love doing our dog training, don't we? And you know how much I love reading all the latest science on dogs, Yes, you do know. Well, that's why we're about to jump on Zoom and we're heading over to Canada to talk to Zazie Todd and about her book, WAG, the science of making your dog happy. Hello, Zazie Todd. Welcome to A Dog's Life.
1: Hi, it's really great to chat with you.
0: Well, I'd be so excited about this because I'm a great fan of your book called WAG, The Science of Making Your Dog Happy.
1: Thank you so much. I'm really thrilled to hear that. And, and the aim of the book really is to help people understand their dog better and what they can do to make their dog even happier. So I know you already have a very happy dog, um, but it's, it aims to give everyone some tips that they can use to help to improve their dog's life.
0: Yes. And, and it's the way that you've, um, I guess, it's the word distill here, you've, you've filtered so much modern science and fused it with actual real life examples to really illustrate from a different perspective, I think, what other people have done before.
1: Yes, thank you. So I was inspired by my own two dogs, Ghost and Bodger, neither of whom is with with me anymore, sadly, because dogs just don't live long enough. But I was inspired by them to learn more about dogs. And there's this whole huge field of canine science, which is absolutely fascinating and very, very relevant to uh, ordinary lives with dogs and to improving dog's welfare. And then because I'm also a dog trainer, I trained at the Academy for Dog Trainers. So I'm used to seeing the kinds of issues that people have with their dog. And so I wanted to make something that explains all of this science because it's it's so interesting um, and makes it practical at the same time. And that's why at the end of every chapter, when I've explained, you know, what science tells us about a particular topic, and then there's a list of tips that people can apply at home if they want to and right at the end of the book there's a checklist that people can use if they want to pick some of the main ideas from the book and see which ones they're already doing because I'm sure everyone will already be doing some of them but there will also be some that people aren't doing and they can see which ones they would like to give a try and see if it makes any any difference to them or not.
0: Yes it's really practical the book in that way I like those tables and and you can tick various sections but you know It is interesting, isn't it, that we've been living with dogs, obviously, between twenty and thirty thousand years, Zazie, and it's only recently that it seems to me that we are literally obsessed, in a way, with with untangling their minds. You know, um, it's like we know that their olfaction is is super amazing, but then we have to study it even a little bit more. Why do you think this is? It's is it this fascination? with why they affect us so much you know dogs really do have such a major part in our own evolution really and do you think this constant looking at the science has got something to do with us trying to figure out why dogs have such a hold on us?
1: I think that's definitely part of it Um, I think the wonderful thing is that Canine science has become a thing in itself. Scientists got interested in dogs and they didn't used to be particularly interested in dogs. If you go back a few decades, they were more interested in running rats and mice through mazes or teaching pigeons to do things uh, yes. and not so interested in dogs. And at the same time as science has got interested in dogs, I think the general population has also become even more interested in dogs and we see them as family. And most of us no longer want to relegate our dog to the backyard. We let them come and sleep in our bed at night. And so as well as the science, there's so many people who are interested in learning what that science is telling us. Um, And I think it's wonderful. It's very good for dogs, especially at the moment because of the pandemic. I think we've seen so many people rush out and get a dog or want to rush out and get a dog. Uh, And dogs have really been helping a lot of people through the pandemic and they've given people a reason to get out and exercise every day. Um, although it's not necessarily always been good for the dog to have people home all the time when that's been happening but I think it's really just continued to strengthen our bond with dogs and dogs are so so popular now and that's
0: both a wonderful thing and also of course it has downsides too I don't know what it's been like over in Canada but here we've seen the rise in dogs puppies being bought by about 190 percent an unprecedented puppy boom which has you'll relate to this just as puppies hit about eight months. There's been a massive boom online of puppies for sale at extortionate prices as they've all hit adolescence, sazzy
1: Mm. (laughs) hmm that's a tricky time when if you haven't been training your dog then the dog is getting a bit big and it can start to become a bit of a problem and we have seen some similar things here in that certainly lots of people have wanted to get dogs and I think it's been really good for rescues and shelters because dogs have been adopted incredibly fast and every puppy gets like 100 applications or, or more But at the same time here, because normally a lot of dogs will come up to Canada from the United States and that border has been closed except to essential travel. So I think at the moment there are still lots more people wanting a dog than are able to get one. And that includes me, sadly. I'm currently looking for a dog (laughs) and hope to get one. (laughs)
0: too long. <laughs> oh, Zazie, gosh, because in your book, what I love about the introduction is that you're you're so honest and you talk about the two dogs that have really inspired the book, I guess. Um, a wonderful uh, Siberian husky crossed Malamute called Ghost and then an Australian shepherd called Bodger, who I, I smiled when I first read the book, you know, a couple of years ago now, as you, uh, you were honest and just said, and he was completely nuts.
1: <laughs> he really was. So we got Ghost first and Ghost was, he was a bit nervous when he first came to live with us. And that's completely normal for an adult rescue dog to be a bit nervous about coming into a new home. And it took him a little while to settle in, but we very quickly learned that he absolutely loved other dogs and Anytime we were on a walk, if we saw people, he wasn't interested. Like, he didn't mind meeting them, but he wasn't terribly excited. But if there was another dog, he was desperate to meet them. So we thought, right, we've got to get him another dog as a friend. And so we saw this Australian Shepherd online, and we went to the shelter to meet him. And unfortunately for us, he'd gone to the groomers. So we had to wait for him to come back. And Ghost liked him, so we brought him home without really thinking too much about it. And he hadn't been trained. He was two and a half years old. He was very jumpy, he was incredibly mouthy. Uh, He span in circles when nothing was happening, Um, (laughs) round and round and round, like sometimes even with his tail in his mouth spinning. And he didn't know how to walk on a leash. It was actually really quite tricky at first to try and teach him that. And yeah, he was a lot of work and he was afraid of a few things too. And it turned out especially he was afraid of loud noises like thunder. Um, and there was one incident which isn't in the book but quite early after we'd adopted him um, there was some distant thunder and i had been working away and I needed to go to the bathroom and I said to my husband stay with the dogs and I went to the bathroom and then all of a sudden there was some thunder really close to us and Bodger smashed through the pet gate in the hall to get close to me
0: oh no gosh he was so, he was so afraid <laughs> Oh, bless, bless. Well, the thing is with Bodger, I can can kind of relate because he sounds a bit like Prudence, my miniature bull terrier, who also has noise sensitivity. And when she arrived, she was also touch sensitive. I can talk to you about these things because you understand exactly what it means. So it just meant everything in her environment excited her. So she really was, as I describe her as a a whirling dervish at, at first. Touch excited her sound totally did as well. And I think it's it's more common than people realise these sensitivities that, of course, in human terms, we don't have things like touch sensitivity and noise sensitivity so much.
1: No, not so much. But I think it is quite common there's actually a piece of research that found that 73% of dogs have some kind of anxiety or fear which is actually quite a, a high number and I think sound sensitivity is one of the most common ones, especially like fear of fireworks, so around Guy Fawkes night a lot of dogs are cowering in terror, unfortunately. Um, And there are things we can do as puppies to make these things less likely to happen. So if you take your puppy to a good puppy class, one of the things they will likely do is something to try and prevent sound sensitivity and they'll play fireworks noises really, really quietly, uh, just kind of in the background at a level that the puppies are completely happy with and then gradually increase the noise and that will help them to get used to it because puppies have this window we call it the sensitive period for socialization, between three and about 12 to 14 weeks. And if they have a wide range of positive exposures, it really helps them grow up to be calm, happy, confident adult dogs and we can make a big difference then Um, the only other thing I'd say about sound sensitivity is there is some research that when that is late onset so it starts in an adult dog's life it can be connected to pain so and I'm not a vet but that's something for which I would always refer someone to a vet first to see if there is actually a pain component in that
0: it's so interesting, I read that study <laughs> yes, because Prue, oh has a slipping kneecap caused by an injury when she was um a puppy, and of course, yes, it's the pain that reinforces the noise sensitivity, but we're working through it. she's so much better, and in a way, I didn't take her on until she was just five months because she came in from Germany so in a way I'm not sure I'd ever do that again if you're going to have a puppy you know and, and and not adopt you know Prudence was the successor to Molly and I really wanted another miniature bull terrier because I wanted Molly to come back I know you'll relate to that sazzy even though I know it couldn't have happened however her early socialization was a little bit out of my hands but she was with a very experienced dog person who's lovely and you know totally ethical and in 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 the breeding for the right right reasons i.e hardly ever does it but anyway we digress something i'm really interested in as well Sazzy, from a scientific point of view is this that only about 12 years ago which is no time is it really when you think of our lives with dogs scientists were really a bit reticent about admitting i think that dogs have emotional intelligence what do you say about that
1: Yes, isn't it interesting? I think that's been such a big change and now scientists will admit that dogs have feelings, Um, they are emotionally intelligent and some of it comes from some really interesting fascinating work specific to dogs and some of it also actually comes from wider research on a whole range of animals but one of the pieces or lines of research that really fascinates me is to do with the relationship between dogs and their owners and some of that work has borrowed techniques from child psychology um, especially something that's called a strange situation test where it's normally done with a baby and you see how they respond when their caregiver or a stranger comes in and it's got a set procedure to follow and when people do that with dogs what they find is that dogs have an attachment to their owner that's very very similar to the attachment between an infant and their parents and I think that's really really fascinating and I think that's one of the reasons why people are now willing to say that actually yes dogs do seem to love us (laughs) which of course we've always felt you know as, as dog people or you know we we've always I think felt as if dogs love us but to actually be able to prove that dogs have this kind of emotion is is quite a big thing to do and also at the same time I think it shows just how much responsibility we have when it comes to caring for dogs if they're thinking of us in that perspective that means that we're a secure base from which they can go out and explore And it means that we're what's the technical term is a safe haven to which they can return if they're stressed by something. And if you think back to some of the erroneous advice that used to be given, because we were just talking about sound sensitivity. People used to say wrongly that if your dog was afraid, you shouldn't comfort them. And of course, this line of research shows that comforting them if they want to be comforted is exactly what you should do, because it's going to help them to feel better.
0: Yes, it has shifted so much. I couldn't believe that um, some scientists didn't consider dogs as having emotional intelligence, because ever since a child, I've communicated with dogs like they are a human, often not using speech when I was very young, because I figured that, okay, dogs don't talk like we talk. But I would just think things, you know, with our family dogs and, and just sit with them. And the communication is there, you know, they, They know so much. I mean, I'm a massive fan, actually. Uh, Zazie, I I don't know if you've read his work of uh, Rupert Sheldrake.
1: I haven't actually read it, so that's that's something. He's been on my list for a while, so I need to get around to reading some.
0: Oh, you so must. You must. You must read dogs that know when their mm. owners are coming home. It was like I was vindicated when I I read this and it was actually a scientist who, who said to me, Anna, have you read Sheldrake? That's when I was working with the groundbreaking charity Medical Detection Dogs, because a lot of their work is totally based on anecdotal studies of dogs smelling their owners' cancer alerting them to it just at home, and, and why and how they were doing this. Of course, they were smelling it, yes, but the bit about telling their owners they have cancer, if that's not emotional intelligence, then I don't know what is, Zazie. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that's amazing and dogs have these amazing abilities with their nose and then as you say these amazing abilities to communicate with us too and even for example to look at us or bark at us if they want us to get something for them
0: and um, oh oh yes I know that one (laughs) prudence (laughs) has advanced attention-seeking behaviors as you'd be appalled (laughs) good for her though (laughs)
1: Wow. I think it's wonderful and, and the, the smelling thing is just absolutely incredible just how amazing dogs' noses are and I think that's really important for everyone to know because one of the ways that we can provide enrichment for our dogs is to give them more opportunities to smell basically and it, it can be as simple as providing more opportunities to smell on a walk and I like to call that taking your dog on a sniffari um <laughs> But it can also be scattering treats in the grass for them to find, or you can get snuffle mats, or you can make a snuffle mat yourself, where you hide treats in there for the dog to find, or you can go to nose work classes.
0: I absolutely love all of this. I mean, I love this. I mean, I've, uh, to occupy Prue, because she was very clever as a puppy. I mean, she was not a typical terrier I shouldn't say that I mean they are all clever but it's it's tuning into them because they are so opinionated I'd hide tennis balls in the garden in the bushes and you know um, under plant pots and and so on and gosh she's such an expert at it and I've recently I'm so proud of this Azzy I've trained her to be a truffle hunter so prudence can now totally discriminate the scent (laughs) of a British truffle Um, wow. <laughs> as opposed to lots of decoys like clove oil, truffle oil, rosemary oil, a oh, whole load of things. And yeah, I'm so awfully proud of this. It's been our lockdown project, actually. So I so hear what you're saying. And it's so easy for owners to do this, right?
1: absolutely and I think that's so amazing congratulations that's really really well done um, <laughs> I do have much better skills at this for me because I've never taken a dog that that far through any kind of scent work but yeah and and so people at home they they can get that far with their dog if they want to or they can just do much simpler things you can even just take some cardboard boxes put them in, in your living room shut the dog out of the room hide a treat in one of them then let the dog to run in and find which box to treat it in and when they find it you can throw an extra treat in there just to encourage them and this is a game that dogs love to play as well and it's just really so much fun for dogs and when we're thinking about providing enrichment it's important to think about the sense that's the most important and for dogs that is that is the sense of smell and I've got a quote in the book from Dr Alexandra Horowitz because I I invited a range of experts to answer the question, what's the one thing that would make the world better for dogs? And she picked, let them sniff. So there's a really nice quote from her in there about the importance of
0: letting dogs sniff because they see the world through sense rather than sight. I love that in the book that you do ask this question, what's the one thing that would make life better for dogs? I agree then, actually, um, it is definitely let them sniff. But in terms of training, getting down to nitty gritty, Zazie, I studied psychology, which I found fascinating. And of course, I learned about both Pavlov and Skinner. Do you get people that say to you, Oh, I don't want to train my dog. I don't want my dog to become a Pavlov's dog. I don't want to kill their personality. And what do you say to those people?
1: Some people do say that, but really, it's not about training a dog to be a robot and to do everything that we say. I think it's really Really important to think about training as teaching dogs the life skills that they need to live happily in our homes and to do the things that they need to do like going to the vet so even if you're yourself not someone who particularly thinks you're going to enjoy training there are a few things that it's really important to teach your dog to do and then if you happen to have a dog with problem behaviors then obviously training can be a thing that you can use to help to deal with that. So if it's a dog with sound sensitivities that we talked about, then you'd be using the powerful cell training of classical conditioning. You might do some desensitization with low noises, but you'd also be doing a lot of counter conditioning where anytime there was a noise, because you can't prevent loud noises from happening, unfortunately. um, Anytime there was a loud noise, you give the dog a really, really nice treat to try and change their perception and, and teach them that actually the noise is not something to be afraid of. It's something that's going to predict a really yummy treat. And then most of the training that we do is using the Skinner's approach, the operant conditioning, as it's called. And mostly we're using positive reinforcement to teach dogs what to do. And the reason is that we know that using aversive methods like leash jerks or yelling at the dog is bad for the dog's welfare potentially it has the risks of causing fear, anxiety, aggression, stress and a worse relationship with the owner and some research even shows it makes dogs less optimistic Um, so it's important to use positive reinforcement and the best way to do that is to use food Find some food that, again, that your dog really likes and use like little small pieces of chicken or cheese or roast beef or something to reward your dog for doing the behaviours that you like. And it leads to a much better relationship with your dog as well as a
0: well behaved dog. Oh yes, I couldn't agree more. I'm I'm glad you put cheese on the menu there, as I'm always saying. Yes, take some mild cheddar out with you, <laughs> as uh, it, it, cheese definitely always works. I think dogs do love it. But it's interesting you touched on there. You know, hindering your relationship with your dog by messages perhaps getting lost in translation, like with barking, for example. Of course, if you shout at your dog to be quiet, you're actually Unwittingly, from a human aspect, rewarding the barking because you're joining in.
1: Yeah, you're joining in with the barking and making lots of noise yourself. And the thing about barking is that there can be lots of different causes of barking. So that's where you really do have to look at your dog's body language and understand what's going on because they might be doing alert barking, which you you have to expect dogs, a lot of dogs especially they'll watch dog type breeds, they're going to bark when they see someone walk by for example. You can't expect them not to but what you can do is expect them not to bark too much and train them to bark and tell you and then stop barking. But some dogs will be barking simply because they're bored and then you need to think of more things for them to do and some dogs will be barking because they're afraid, in which case you'll want to teach them not to be afraid of the things. So for so barking especially, it's one of those things people often misunderstand what's, you know what the dog is actually trying to tell them. And they just get fed up with the dog. But if you know what the cause is, then you can do something about it. And another common thing that gets lost in translation, unfortunately, is to do with house training when the dog has accidents in the house. Because sometimes people mistakenly think that that is the dog being spiteful. Especially if the dog ends up going. Uh, once I worked with a dog that would, it would go in the owner's shoes. But the reason was that the shoes were by the back door, and the dog was actually trying to get. It you it, it was most. <laughs> supposed to go outside but the shoes because the door was closed couldn't get outside and the shoes were right there so it went on the shoes and you can absolutely see why someone would think that was a dog being biteful but it's not in this case it was that the dog wasn't actually house trained yet and they had to finish house training the dog but very often if a dog has been house trained in the past and suddenly they start having accidents in the house it's not spite it's actually a medical problem and so you need to go
0: to the vet for that one. I agree and I always think, you know, people spend far too much worry on house training. You know, eventually dogs will get it. Of course you have to try with a puppy, of course, and, and, and get them going outside if if you're lucky enough, obviously, to have a garden. It's it's actually quite quite easy but I always say you know there's so many other things to be focusing on right now like taking them out on the bus on the train in normal times meeting other dogs meeting lots of people getting used to visitors coming in and out and if there's a little pee on the carpet you know it's only a carpet. I agree.
1: There's so much to teach puppies, but I think often people get frustrated about it. And with some dogs, especially little dogs, it seems to be a bit more difficult than for, with a, a bigger dog. So the way to see the house training is that it's our job to take the puppy out often enough that they don't be indoors and, and to reward them once they have peed as well outside. And it's very easy if you've got a garden you can let them out into, but you need to go out there with them and actually give them a nice treat when they have feed outside because it will help them to learn it more quickly.
0: Yes, and it's interesting with the garden going out with them. I mean, I still go out in the garden uh, actually with Prudence and she's five and a half just to guide her to behave as I would like her to behave in the garden. So if a cat that is an our cat is kind of sitting on the shed roof, she doesn't stop barking at it and causing that cat stress um, and causing herself stress or going bounding around a bit too much or digging up my daisies. Not that I mind about the daisies, but it's not a great behavior to Reinforce digging up people's plants in gardens. So um, I manage in the garden um, every day, and of course she pees on command and so on. But why is it important to do this to train a dog to behave in the garden? Lots of people let the dog just out in the garden, and then they start barking incessantly, digging holes, even escaping, potentially even in these days getting stolen. Um, so why is a garden another room of the house?
1: Well, it's really important to keep an eye on your dog at all times, especially right now, because there is the risk of the dog being stolen. But one thing people think is that if they leave their dog in their yard, they'll be getting exercise and being happy and so on. But actually, they probably would rather be with you because dogs really like to be with us. And there was a study done in Australia that's mentioned in the book where they looked at what dogs did when they were in the yard all day. And the dog seemed to move around the outside of the house in relation to where the people were in the house. And it was as if the dog wanted to be with the people. So your dog would like to be with you. But also sometimes people think the dog's getting exercise in the garden and actually they tend not to be very active, especially if your garden is a bit kind of plain, like a flat, flat lawn and not very many plants and bushes and not a lot happening there. Then there isn't so much for the dog to do. So it's not good exercise. You're still gonna have to take them for a nice walk anyway. Um, Where I live, it's a little bit different because here in this part of Canada, um, it's rural and we've got forests and we've got black bears and we've got cougars and bobcat and so on that come through the yard. So here it's not especially safe for a dog to be in a yard on their own, especially if it's a small dog.
0: No crumbs. I couldn't. How exciting to see a cougar, but maybe not. You know, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, segueing there. So it's important to walk your dog, whether you have a garden or you know or not. Sassy, one of my big bugbears in life. Um, I'm going to ask you what yours are in a minute, but it is these dog walkers that walk about twelve dogs at a time, and I just feel that these dogs' owners. Missing out, missing out big time. What would you say?
1: Oh, I would agree because I love taking dogs for walks, and I think you know it's one of the best parts of a relationship with your dog is getting outside with your dog, whatever the weather, seeing your dog, enjoying having a nice time. But I understand that people do have to work, and so they can't always be there to take their dog for for a walk every time. But for me, certainly, that's that's, uh, one of the best bits of having a dog is that you do take them for walks, it's really fun. So for me, I'll tell you one of my biggest bugbears is actually a piece of advice that you still hear and it's completely wrong, but you still hear it. And the reason I hate it is because it's actually quite dangerous, but people still sometimes say that you should be able to take food away from a dog. Um, and that's not a good idea at all because it's risking a bite and it's risking teaching the dog to guard food. And actually what you should be doing instead is teaching your dog a drop it or a leave it command just in case they get hold of something. But you definitely don't want to be just randomly taking food away from them um, because it's not a sensible thing to do. And yet sometimes you still see dog
0: trainers and ordinary people give that advice and it's just hazardous basically. Gosh, yes, that is really good advice. I mean, I've I always train making a meal out of meal times, so that dogs have to sit and wait for the cue to take their food. And I must say, when Prue was a puppy, I would, while she was eating, just nicely pick up her bowl, repeat, so she had to be in a sit and a wait, and then take it again. Was that wrong? Well, no, because you're
1: giving it back to her. And what's a really great thing to do with a puppy is actually to go and add bits of food to their bowl. And you could then train that so that they know that if you take it away, you're going to put something really tasty in there and give it back to them. Because what you really don't want is a situation, if you, especially if you have a child in the home, where the child is going to come and take food away from the dog and the dog is going to react badly. Um, and young children are at the same kind of height as the dog and it's something they might be tempted to try and do. So... Actually, adding food, approaching the bowl, and adding food when you've got a puppy or or an adult dog is if it's safe to do it with an adult dog, is a good way to train them that actually they don't need to worry about you approaching their their food bowl.
0: And one last tip from you, Zazie about what is the massivest worry at the moment: separation anxiety. As we are hopefully (laughs) easing out of this terrible pandemic situation.
1: Yeah so dogs have really been able to get used to the people being home a lot of the time and especially for people who've acquired their dog during the pandemic they may never have had any experience of their people going out and about as as normal so it's a good idea to plan well ahead of time before things go back to normal if you can and to start gradually getting your dog used to you going out and if you're not really able to go out very much you can just make do by going into another room to start with and leave them in that room and then come back. Um, The aim is to keep it really really short lengths of time that the dog is quite happy with because when you have a dog with a full-blown separation anxiety the kind of training that you do with them is you suspend any absences that are longer than what they can cope with and then you gradually build from there so you only leave them alone for short, short, short periods of time that they can handle and then come rushing right back in. So you could even go sit in your car if you've got a car and read a book and then go back in the house, um, but just gradually try and get them used to being alone at least some of the time because it's going to be a big shock if they're used to you being home 24 hours a day and then all of a sudden you're going out to work eight hours a day. That's that's too big a change and you need to work out some gradual plan to, to make that work better.
0: Oh, yes, that's great advice. They're absolutely, Zazie. Even, you know, for me working from home, you know, I'm making an effort now to leave them. They're pretty good, to be honest, but they, even these two are, are showing signs of, oh, she's gone out. Where's she gone? Will she return? And that's something that hasn't, been on their radar before. Now, just finally, so sad to learn that you've lost Bodger since we last spoke, actually, Zazie, because I really understand the deep pain that losing a dog brings. And in your book, you do have a chapter at the end about this and about how to prepare for this. I know it's a bit of a a downer to end like this, perhaps, but explain that a bit more.
1: Well, I think it is very difficult losing a dog. And Luckily, people are beginning to recognise it more so now, but there are still quite a few people who say things like, well, it was just a dog, and they don't understand how deep that bond is and what an important relationship it is. And especially if you've been working from home a lot, you might have spent, like, I spent 23 hours a day basically with with Bodger pretty much obviously I was asleep some of that time but it's a lot of time and it is just really very difficult losing a pet and I think people need to recognize that and give themselves time to grieve and everyone grieves in their own way so some people have to rush out and get another dog right away some people need to wait for a bit and for myself I needed to wait for a bit because i it was just very very difficult but I'm glad at least that I get to share him with people in the book and people get to learn about him because although I described him as nuts when he came to (laughs) live he actually was a really very very special dog and he was a really good friend and he was just lovely to have
0: around so I hope that people will enjoy reading about him and Ghost in the book. I'm sure they will. And and it's funny, isn't it, that I think the more difficult, in inverted commas, your dog is, the more you love them, because somehow they've taught you, they've they've pulled more out of you than you perhaps were expecting. And it leads, you know, they say the path of true love is never smooth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I agree completely. I, I think having a difficult dog can cause you to have to rise to that challenge and it is a learning opportunity and you learn more about yourself as well as about how to help your dog and also you have to structure parts of your life around your dog and what they need and I think that helps to make it a really really strong and special bond and Bodger was just lovely I mean he loved me very much and he loved my husband very much and he loved the cats and he was just really nice to be around so we miss him a lot Oh,
0: well, he'll never be far from you. I know that. And Zazie, thank you so much. And where can people get the book?
1: The book is available in all good bookstores, uh, including bookshop.org and Amazon. And if people want to learn more about me, they can find me on companionanimalpsychology.com, where I have a blog and I have two posts a week about evidence based care for pets and what science is telling us about dogs and cats.
0: It's brilliant, Sazie. Thank you so much. And I hope you'll come back when you get your, your new dog and we can have another chat.
1: That would be awesome. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you.
0: Well, that's our show, Mr. Binks. What did you think? Yes, we've got lots of homework to do and I can't wait. Well, I hope you all enjoyed it too. And if you did, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcasts as we're on all the platforms and it really helps other dog lovers find us. Thanks so much to Zazie. You can find all Zazie's details in the show notes. Thanks to my very patient producer, Mike Hansen, and to Pod People Productions for all the music and production as ever. Follow them at Pod People UK. For more about me, I'm at AnnaWebDogs or you can visit my website, AnnaWeb.co.uk and you can book a training session, nutrition session, or just browse around my little shop. We'll be back in your feed next Sunday. So why don't you subscribe for free now on your favorite podcast app and then you'll never miss another show. Bye for now.